get a Bible in your hand as God wrote it to you personally. Isn't that amazing? He wrote it to you personally. And uh, we know that because we see the Bible as alive as we spend time in it. You know, it's um, as the scripture teaches us, all scriptures God breathe. How many of you believe that? It's, it's, it's written by the Holy Spirit. So therefore, every time we open it, it can actually speak to you right where you are. Isn't that something? In other words, particularly here in the book of Proverbs, as we go through the book of Proverbs, what we find is that a lot of people in the room go through Proverbs every month because it has 31 chapters. Wave at me if that's you so I can see. Okay, a few of you do. And as you go through it, you know, and even as we sit in here week in and week out, some of these Proverbs is for you where you are and then others are maybe not at that very moment, but the Holy Spirit within you is recording it all every time you go through that and it's being stored up, if you will, so that at a time that you may have need of it, the Holy Spirit will bring it right back to your heart and your mind uh, for that particular moment that you need it. And the crazy thing is, even if you read it a hundred times, you get something new every time because what happens is because it's alive, the Holy Spirit can take from it for what you need at that very moment. Isn't that crazy? So that it's completely alive and constantly giving us what we need and God meant it to be that way. And so that's wonderful. So Proverbs chapter 14 is where we are this morning and we made it down through verse 10. So turn over to Proverbs chapter 14. And if you're visiting for the first time, wave at me because I don't think I did that. Just if it's a first time visitor, okay, welcome this morning. Good. Glad you all are here. Hope to meet you before you leave. Uh, my name is Pastor Kevin, by the way, and I'm thankful, thankful that you all are here this morning. We need to pick it up this morning in verse 11. And so let's read for a little while, and then we'll come back and we'll dive in and, and see what the Lord will say to us. Verse 11, Proverbs 14. If you're there with me, please say amen. amen. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. The wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. I'm going to stop there for the sake of time. Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord God, for putting this word before us, Lord. And I ask now that we turn our hearts to it, Lord, that you would seize this moment, as I know it's your desire and will to do so, Lord God, that you would remove all of the, the works of the enemy away from us, Lord, put a hedge of protection far away to where he can't get in and steal and manipulate. I pray that you would take the cares of this life and this world away from our hearts and minds, Lord, um, and even the distractions away from the room so that there is nothing that hinders. And Lord, and then I pray that you would grasp our attention and teach us by your spirit so that we will receive the things that we need from you today, both individually and collectively as a body. And Lord, we thank you for that. We surrender to that. And by faith now, we listen with, with our ears and we listen with our hearts and we listen with the spirit you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So verse 11 is where we'll, where we'll pick it up. And I'm already, the time is flying um, because of the graduation and I want to get down through several verses. But notice in verse 11, it is, again, it says the house of the wicked will be overthrown. 
but the tents of the upright will flourish. And so as we go through Proverbs, we're seeing and we're accustomed now to this pattern of the contrast that are being given to us. These short little Proverbs that Solomon is writing to his children so that they can understand how to navigate the life that they're living in this world. And he uses these little quick contrast. The, and, and we see it here again in that first glance, we could move quickly by it and miss maybe some of what the Lord is trying to give us. Notice it says, um, the, you know, it, the gist of it is the wicked will be overthrown, but the upright will flourish. And so we've seen that. And yes, that's true. We see that through the Proverbs and that is the gist of it. Yet when we look deeper, we begin to see a, another contrast where I think the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something. Because notice it's actually the contrast is that the house of the wicked, and that will be overthrown. But the tents of the upright, those will flourish. And so it goes a little deeper and it, it, it draws us in. I love how the Holy Spirit writes. It's just drawing us in to find out, well, what on earth is, is he getting that? You know, you can look at it as the wicked man boasts of his great house. He can look down upon the upright neighbor who lives in only a tent. Yet the tent of the upright, check it out, the tent of the upright is actually more secure than the house of the wicked. I don't know if, if, if you remember that. Um, even when we focus on the things of this world, sometimes it seems as though the wicked are doing better than those who are trying to walk with God. Anybody ever looked out and they, you see that? It's like, man, I'm trying to walk with God. It seems difficult, but the wicked seem to have no issues. And, and look, that's a situation that many have struggled with through the years. In fact, the psalmist writes about that very thing. In Psalm uh, chapter 73, the psalmist penned this struggle uh, for us when he was depressed looking at the same thing. I want to give you a few verses. Psalm 73 verses 2 and 3 says, But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so in other words, the psalmist is looking out and seeing the prosperity of the wicked and saying, I almost stumbled, my feet almost stumbled. I, I was struggling with this truth as I was observing it. And sometimes we can lose sight momentarily of the truths of God and begin to see that very thing and even begin to wonder what's going on. But he goes on in verse 17 of that same chapter. You can read the whole thing later. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. Surely, he says, you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation. Notice he says, as in a moment, it will be sudden. They are utterly consumed with terrors. In other words, their end will be a sudden destruction. And the reality is, um, is that, yes, if they are prospering, it's only but for a moment. And so we see this contrast that is given here. And we need to understand that, wait a minute, there's something bigger happening even in this verse with this contrast. The very house of the wicked and all its, all its splendor will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. I want to go into this a little bit more. Notice the, the difference between the house and then the tent. It's interesting. Um, no house built on earth has permanent foundations here in this earth and this age that we live in. I don't know if you ever considered that. Jesus says that the wise man built this house upon a rock, but the metaphor teaches us that that rock is Jesus himself. Amen. Y'all know that? 
Um, so only the house built on Jesus Christ has eternal foundations is what the scriptures are hinting towards for us. One of my favorite scriptures, I was having a conversation with some brothers the other day and it came to me and I hadn't looked at it in a while and I used to love to quote it all the time. But it's 1 Corinthians 3.11 where it says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He is the foundation, the chief cornerstone of the foundation we find out in the New Testament. Amen. So there's a foundation in Jesus. And if we build on anything else, it will not last and the scripture is causing us to begin to think about this and even look deeper. See, the interesting thing is that when you read this verse, verse 11, in the King James, it reads like this. It reads, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. And when I read it in the King James, it began to send my, my, my heart all over the place. The tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. Look, a tabernacle here, it speaks of a nomadic existence. Or better, a temporary dwelling is what it speaks of. Listen at it this way, because Jesus did this very thing. In John chapter 1, verse 14, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, And the Word, Jesus is the living Word, the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that. The word here for dwell or tabernacle is kaneo, and it means to fix one's tabernacle among. In other words, Jesus fixed his tabernacle among us temporarily while he dwelt with us to do his ministry. And we so are glad that he did. Imagine that if we were alive in the first century to be able to look at God in human flesh. It, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? We weren't there, but it doesn't matter. In faith, we know him. That's amazing, too. And even more so, we're known of him. Man. So, the tabernacle in the Old Testament gives us this wonderful illustration. Y'all stay with me for a moment. It represents the dwelling of God in the midst of his people. Whenever the presence of God would move out, the people of Israel would pack up and follow. Y'all remember that? In the Old Testament, the picture was they were given the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a uh, 15 by 30 uh, tent in the middle of an outer out of court and, and that 15 by, by 30 tent had two compartments. The first compartment was the holy place. Remember they had the menorah, the table of showbread and the, the, uh, the altar of incense. And then the next compartment that had the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top. And it's in there that the Shekinah glory of God was there and the priest would meet with him once a year to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat uh, for the sins of the nation. Y'all not if this stuff makes some sense, or at least you heard some, some tale of it before at least, right? And so above the tabernacle would be a representation of God's presence in the midst of his nation, his people, as a, a cloud by day, y'all remember this, and a pillar of fire by night. Such a magnificent scene, if you can imagine it, when the enemy of Israel would approach at nighttime, they would see this illuminated pillar of fire over this, this massive nation of tents. And, and if, when we went through the book of Numbers on Wednesday nights, we actually counted the number, the tribes, and the numbers of the people in those tribes for each tribe. And I actually took a piece of paper and I mapped it all out to where, based upon the numbers, it seems as though it resembled a cross as you look down from above with this pillar of fire over it. And I imagine their enemies would say, we ain't messing with them. We know that they were afraid because of Rahab she, in, in Jericho. She told us that. So they would see that and like, man, I ain't messing with them. I know what happened to Egypt. 
And it was this beautiful presence that was there. But when God would move out, listen, they would pack up and follow after where he was going, his presence. So they dwelt in tents, if you will. Even Abraham dwelt in tents. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews that Abraham was constantly searching for a city not made with hands. Y'all remember hearing that, the hall of faith. In other words, Abraham, who was a very wealthy man and could have built a mansion himself, dwelt in tents searching for something, a place where God dwelt. And and this this picture throughout the, the scriptures of the heart of the person who loves God. In fact, we Christians, disciples of Christ, are referred to in this way in the New Testament. Peter writes it in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. If you would look on the screen, it's there. Peter says, beloved, or beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. He says, I'm begging you as people spiritually who are moving, if you, if you will, through this life not dwellers of the place that we live because a sojourner is a foreigner moving through a foreign land. And he says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when you speak, excuse me, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. There's a whole lot there I don't want to go into, but right now he's, he's, he's calling them to understand as sojourners, meaning that earth is not your final dwelling place. And this, by the way, is something that as the church, we got to constantly listen to me, constantly understand because there's a um, divide within the Christian church today. There are those in one camp that believe that somehow we got to do more work to bring the kingdom so that we can invade the earth and and then somehow we're going to bring the kingdom. Scripture tells us something different. I keep reminding of this. No, Scripture says that at some point the Lord has taken us out of the earth and then he's going to judge it and it's going to burn with a fervent heat. So we're not going to change it. We're not going to make it better. That's not what scripture says. So then what do we do? Well, scripture says that we are to, as salt and light, through the preaching of the gospel in word and in life, allow the gospel and the light to go forth so that people can hear and and be convicted and come to saving faith that they will leave with us. That's kind of the picture that that, we want to make sure that our focus is right. Um, And Jesus did say, hey, pray thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But he will bring that kingdom when he comes. Amen. And that's what we desire. We want him to bring the kingdom to earth when he is ready. But there's a judgment that's going to take place first. All right, I want to stay focused. But we are needing to focus on the fact that we are sojourners. So the Bible says that we are foreigners here and we have citizenship of a heavenly city. The Bible says that we... um, uh, we are waiting for the Lord to come from heaven and to catch us up to meet him in the air. And so this is the life that we're currently living. The Bible says in another place that we are ambassadors. Ambassadors are from another place. 
dwelling in, and you know, you go to D.C., you might meet some ambassadors from another country living in D.C., but D.C. is not home for them. The other country is, okay? We understand that. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 18, the Bible says, why we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So let's not get tripped up down here too much. There's a picture the Holy Spirit is painting to us, even as we look at this uh, verse, the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright, even the tent of the upright, which speaks of far more than what we thought, will flourish. So even in that, there will be a favor of God on our lives as we're living here as sojourners. And then we have a flourish, flourishing favor from God for all eternity. Amen. And the reality is that the wicked will be overthrown. We'll see more of that in a moment. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, the way, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, as you look at this verse, obviously we can catch the, the surface meaning that, you know, sometimes man's way ends in death and, you know, uh, you know, because, you know, it's not the way of God. We understand that. But to me, the verse is so much more scarier. Like this is, this is a scary verse to me. It scares me because it exposes the fact, listen, it, it exposes the fact that man can be self-deceived. Read the verse again. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And I, I think the Holy Spirit wants us to catch this one because he's going to say the same thing again, almost in the identical words over in chapter 16. And this is a biblical concept. It's scary. There is there's that, that, that the fact that a man can self-deceive himself. You see, the way to the man appears to be good by all of his estimations his calculations, using all the latest research, he can come up with a way, but he can't see that that way actually leads to death. Just like those in uh, the earlier chapters of Proverbs chapter 2 and Proverbs chapter 7, and I think even over in Proverbs chapter 9, where it says that the, the man who turns into the strange woman uh, didn't realize that her house led to death. Her feet went down to death. Her house led to hell and all that turned into her were no more. Y'all remember those verses? Um, and so we warned about, hey, the strange woman for, for the guys or the strange man for the girls or in the times we lived in, it, it gets mixed up, whatever the case may be, um, that, that we need to stay away from that. And you know, why? Because they, 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 he would go head on to it. Isaiah actually says this. Isaiah, not on the screen, but just listen. Y'all know these verses. It says, all we like sheep have gone, what, y'all? Astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all, which is good news. We have all gone astray. I have gone astray. Have you gone astray? Okay, y'all leave me up here hanging by myself. <laughs> I don't like a lying congregation. All right. I'm gonna have you gone astray ever? All right, come on, man. But, but he laid on, but see, this is good news. He laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all, meaning all of our sin and iniquity was judged, laid upon Christ and judged on the cross. Now, I need to pause because some of you in here have been taught bad doctrine. You all on pins and needles because you think you lost your faith last, last week, your salvation last week, and you're in danger of maybe losing it this week. That's what some of you have been taught. So you, you, you live a weird Christianity, always never sure if God has saved you or not. 
And the Bible doesn't teach that you're going to lose your salvation because look, the Bible, here's what the Bible actually teaches. The Bible teaches that you can't earn it and be good enough for it. And there's nothing you can do to obtain it. That it can only come through uh, the, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and our faith in what he's done. So therefore, if it was dependent upon you to have salvation, you wouldn't have it. So you're not going to lose it. You didn't lose it last week. You're here all convicted. That's the indication that you belong to him and you won't lose it this week. But that's not a license of sin either. And we know these things, but to turn to God. And so these verses are, are wonderful. So, so here, again, it says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, self-deception. Allow me to camp out for just a moment. Examples of self-deception. Some say that God is love and therefore everyone will go to heaven, period. And, and, and you kind of hear that stuff creeping into the church, especially on the liberal side of the church. And whole, actually, you got whole denominations headed in this direction now where it's all good now. You got the drag queen being ordained as pastor. Um, you got all kind of stuff going on. And it's just getting very weird in the land of Christendom. We have to say in these times we live in. But the Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be what? Yeah. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. In other words, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Let us not be deceived by that and by anyone that would teach you differently. Because the reality is, if you go on to read the next few verses, here's the reality. It actually says, and such were some of you. Remember, if you go read it, Paul says that, but you were washed. In other words, many of us were in the same way committing sins and immorality in the world, yet we heard the gospel of our salvation, and in believing, we were then sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Isn't that good news? Which means, check it out, which means that we should not be deceived. Those who continue in that and never come to faith in Christ and continue in these lifestyles, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, which the reality means that they will go into a holding cell, which we call hell, where they be tormented until the end, the great white throne judgment, where then hell gets cast into the lake of fire, where that burns for all eternity. And the one who talks about it more than any other teacher in the Bible is Jesus, who says that the worm doesn't die and the flame doesn't go out. And, you know, I don't want to know what that's all about. So because we were saved, we were changed, the good news is that those who are practicing such things right now, the, the gospel still has the power to save. So then we understand that, hey, we have a powerful gospel message that we can use to pull people out of the fire so they can leave when we leave. Let's not be deceived. There can be a self-deception. And when you see denominations going in this direction, you know what's happening? They're deceiving themselves by doctrines of demons. Okay? Here's another one. Some think that there is no danger in being equally yoked with the world and those of the world who do not love Christ. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be what? Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. In other words, you can't, you can't, uh, I remember one time, and my wife knows this one, was some, it was, I, I don't know why it came to mind. Sometimes I got to not say everything that comes to mind, but this one's probably good. 
this woman was trying to justify why she was in her ordination and why she, she thought she, could, she was, you know, being a minister. And she, she was saying, I know how to take care of the sheep because I ran with the wolves. And I said, that don't sound right. <laughs> I said, you, might, you about to hurt somebody. <laughs> you only know how to take care of the sheep if you spent time with the shepherd, you know, because only the shepherd really knows how to do that, you know. Um, you spend time with the wolves, you learn how to devour the sheep, you know. And so, yeah, you can't, you can't, you know, you got, you got to be careful. You got to understand, don't be self-deceived. One more. Some believe that they can get away with anything um, and, and, there, and there's, because of grace, there's no consequences. But the Bible actually says in Galatians 6, verse 7, do not be deceived again. God is not mocked for whatever man sows that he also, that will he also reap. And so we see these verses and we have to obviously balance them out, but self-deception can be so dangerous. And again, the verse says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's end is the way of death. Now, let me talk about how to combat really quick self-deception from a, a believer standpoint, really quick, a few examples from the Old Testament. Y'all okay? Yes. All right. Um, number one, Hagar, the Egyptian. Wave if you know what I'm talking about. Nod or something, okay, because if you don't know, it, it makes for a longer teaching. It's in Genesis chapter 21. You can find it in your own time. She was kicked out of Abraham's house. Um, she had to go. Sarah said, hey, that, that woman has to go and her son because her son was, was picking on Isaac and, and whatnot. So Abraham had to send her away. And so she was traveling with her son, Ishmael, and it was, it was hot desert area. And, and, and they, were, they, they didn't have water and they were thirsty and they thought they were going to die of thirst and hunger. And she thought her son was about to die. And she said, I cannot watch my son die. Ladies, you understand, right? And so she's out there by herself with him. She didn't want to watch him die. So she laid him down and went a little ways away. And she fell on her face and began to cry out to the Lord. Because when you humble yourself and turn to the Lord in prayer, something happens. So it says that God heard her. And he says, in ver uh, this is in Genesis 21. Just listen to me. It says, arise, God says to her, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand. For I will make him a great nation. Then God, here it is, opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And when she had filled the skins, the, 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 you know, the, the containers with water, she and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became a, a archer. And it, it's an interesting thing when I read this, because I remember reading it young, and I'm like, man, she cried out to the Lord. And the Lord supernaturally made a, 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 some water for her. But it actually says, and she cried out to the Lord, it says, then God opened her eyes. And I think that as she was, listen, as she was uh, in this trial and going through this, she could only see the grief that she was dealing with. The grief was so overwhelming that it had overtaken her to the point that she couldn't even see what was right before her eyes. And it says, and God opened her eyes. I think the water was there, but she was filled with grief and couldn't see the, the, the opportunity for healing. I'm going to talk about grief in a few more chapters, a few more verses down. And sometimes, though, I will say this, that sometimes grief can be so overwhelming that we can't even see the way that God might be putting for us to find some healing and find what we need. Um, and grief can be that way. You know, and I guess I'll just jump in here because it's where I'm at. Um, you know, a few years ago, 
there's several people from our church had gone to this ministry called uh, Grief Share. And I actually regretted not going to Grief Share myself when I lost my, my dad. And uh, it's an amazing ministry where people who've lost someone, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a child, and they, they go and, and, it's a, and they, they, they end up ministering one to another, but in the Lord. And it, it helps bring about a little bit of healing. But the point is, you can't find healing from even grief until you turn to the Lord wholeheartedly and let him begin to minister to you. And there are times when we need to minister one to another, obviously, because the Bible has called us to do that. Because grief can be overwhelming. Somebody in this room now, Maybe you just lost somebody and you're overwhelmed with grief to the point that it's overwhelmed you to the point that you can't even truly hear from and, and what God is trying to do in your life. But when you cry out to him, and that's what she did, she cried out, oh, God, my son is going to die. And God heard her. And that's what God does. Another example from the Old Testament, um, and, and this one is when we turn and acknowledge the truth, God opens our eyes. Balaam the prophet. Numbers chapter 22. Y'all know it. Balaam's on his way. He's a prophet, and he, but he's a prophet for hire. I mean, Balaam's like, yeah, I'll be the false prophet if necessary. So he's on his way <laughs> to get rich in fame and prophesy against the people of God, even though he was out of the will of God, but he, he was pushing for it. And so he was on his way, and his donkey turned three times into the wall there and, and crushed his foot, and Balaam began to beat the donkey. Y'all know this, right? And so... Um, so God allowed the donkey to speak. So the donkey said to Balaam, this is chapter 22 of Numbers. If you don't know the story, go read this story. This is amazing to me. God let the donkey speak to the prophet. That's how far gone the prophet was. <laughs> so the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Have I ever, was I ever disposed to do this to you? The donkey says, man, look, have I ever done this to you before? You need to pay attention. That's what the donkey said. And Balaam had the nerve to answer the donkey <laughs> and say, well, no, you've never done this before. Then the scripture says in Numbers 22, verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw what it was as an angel of the Lord was standing in the path ready to take Balaam's head off. And the donkey saved his life because the prophet was so filled with greed and lust that he couldn't see anything as it related to the path that God would have him take at this point. He's following his own way because there's a way that seems right to a man. He's following his own way now because he's filled with lust. But when he turned to the truth, God was able to open his eyes and he saw he was about to lose his head. One more. Can I get one more in? And this one's in 2 Kings 6. And this is a story you know as well. Elijah and his prophet are, 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 are hanging out. And it actually says, and when the servant uh, of the man of God arose early in the morning and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, do not fear. Listen, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And so here's the thing. What we find in this story is that fear can cause you to be blind and out of the way of God as well. And so Elijah actually could see something that the servant couldn't. The servant is overcome now with fear. And whenever you're in fear, you can't see clearly and you absolutely cannot make a sound decision. Okay. So Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open the eyes, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw 
And behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And, and so his eyes were open and he saw that, whoa, God has a hedge of protection all around and we are not actually in danger of dying because God is with us. But he couldn't see that until Elijah prayed for him. And I will say this to you today. If you are fearful about anything and you're going into a new week and if you're afraid of this is going to happen and that's going to happen, most of the time we're afraid of stuff that don't ever happen. This is going to happen and this, this may take place and all of this is going to fall apart and we're worried about so many things. But I'm telling you that if you get before the Lord and give him your fear so that you can operate in faith, God can show you his power and his provision and his protection. It's not that we won't find ourselves in trials and there can be some difficult things, but God is still going to be with us and he can bring us through those things or around those things or however he wants to do it. And see, this is why I quoted to you Ephesians chapter one last week. There's a prayer that Paul gave. Y'all remember that prayer we talked about it last week? I'm going to read it to you again. It's the prayer of Paul towards the church. It's my prayer today for you and it should be your prayer for me. Ephesians 1.16 says, Paul says, I do not not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, because he's who we need to see, the eyes of your understanding, here it is, being enlightened. Because when you're, the eyes of your understanding is enlightened, he says, then you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceedingly, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his again mighty power I don't know about you but there's some power that the almighty has that he wants to work towards those of us who believe in faith amen, amen. so when we're fearful we're blinded from the truth of God and the power of God to come and work on our on our behalf and that's what we need to know and understand because, look, when we in and of ourselves trying to do our own thing, and we'll see this in a few verses down, there's a way that might seem right even as a believer, but it's in, for us it's not death, but it can be, if you will, delayed victory because we didn't allow ourselves to be, you know, ending up in fear or having a moment of lust and desire, strong desires that are not according to the will of God or any, or we get caught in grief to the point that we're overwhelmed with it and we're not seeing clearly who and how God wants to work. And the end is death in verse 12. The one thing we know as believers is that we don't die. And this is another thing. I'm just reminding you of these things. These are all reminders. Believers don't die. Death is being eternally separated from a loving God. And that comes with torment in, in, in the lake of fire. That's what death actually is. So then for the believer, that never happens, so we don't actually experience death. The body will end, but the Bible says absent from the body is what? Presence with the Lord. And Jesus tells us that. He shows us in Luke chapter 16 when, the, when, the, when Lazarus died in the escort of angels, there was no moment of separation or fear or anything uh, for the person who belongs to the Lord. We don't die in that way. Our bodies, what we call dies, but that's going to be resurrected. That's why the New Testament says it just sleeps because it won't go into any kind of torment. Do you realize that those who reject Christ also get resurrected? It's called the second resurrection. Did y'all know that? They get resurrected to a judgment seat, the great white throne, to have that body go into torment. 
it's like they need to get resurrected so they can feel the pain and torment. It's, 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 it's a lot to think about that goes into destruction and death, which we get to escape because of faith in Christ. Isn't that amazing? All right. Verse 13 says, it says, uh, even in laughter, the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grief. We talked about this one last week, so I won't spend too much time on it. But sometimes, I told you last week, the person who is, 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 seems to be always laughing may, um, may appear that way on the surface uh, to be filled with joy, but, but may be masking the actual pain that they're going through. And then on the other side of this where it says, in the end of mirth may be grief, where mirth there actually means joy or gladness, so that the end of that could also be grief. And what it speaks of is this, that you can't mask your pain and your hurt and even your bitterness with uh, whether it's partying or laughing or trying to, to uh, ease it with some other technique or substance. I mean, you can't mask it with, 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 with alcohol or drugs because it's, it's just there and even more so when it comes back. You can't mask it with any other type of sin because when it's all said and done, it comes back even worse because now you have, the, you have to deal with the fact that you, you've gone off into sin and away from God so you're not experiencing his peace. So there's no way around having to deal with pain and with sorrow and with grief and even with bitterness, if somebody hurts you, maybe, maybe you got church hurt, you were hurt at the last church or something went down, you know, whatever the case may be, you can't get peace from these things and healing from these things, trying to mask it with the wrong stuff. Only Jesus heals. Only Jesus heals. And so with that being said, because we have been given the gifts of the Holy Spirit to minister to one another, this is why we have to be uh, sensitive sometimes to how God is trying to minister to us through the other people within the body. Now, the buzzword is, how are you doing? And then the buzz response is, I'm doing great. And that's what we say to each other. And understandably so, you can't get real with everybody. You never get out of church, right? You, you, get, you get worn out how many times you got to tell the story. and go through. The, and so you can't do that. However, though, there are times when, you know, some people have a gift of the discernment or word of knowledge, right? And maybe, or maybe they got to get their exhortation or maybe they get their healing. And, and when that person asks you, it's a little different because a lot of times you'll say, oh, yeah, I'm doing great. And they're like, really? Because they can see by the Spirit something that is different than what you're trying to, uh, the demeanor you're trying to carry. And they can see past it and it's because of the Holy Spirit. So that may actually be the opportunity for you to see some real change in that situation because that's how the spirit of God works because he can meet you right where you are and you can try to run from him having that glass of wine or, or whatever those three or four beers or try to mask it and then go to sleep you can run for him with all the other stuff but when when somebody's spirit feel who's been shown something says are you really okay you know and because look because you know you've been on my heart all week and then, you know, you call the person, hey, is everything going? It, everything's good. I'm like, okay, well, Lord, maybe it ain't nothing going on. Maybe that was just me then. But you pray anyway. You know, we should do that, right? But when, when, because there are times when, listen, there are times when the Lord is pleading with you to just, you know, be honest. You can't be honest with everybody. But that person who God pressed upon them to talk to you, that's God coming to you. And that's what we got we to gotta, we gotta be willing to sometimes allow him to work by just saying, you know what? No, I'm not doing good. And here's what's really going on, that that person can pray for you. Now, um, 
verse 14 is where we'll end. One more. Verse 14 says, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. And I love this verse because we see ways again, you know, ways, the way that a person goes in their own uh, estimations of things. We talked about that before. It, go, it takes us right back up to what we saw in verse 12, the way, the way of a man seems right, but, but the end of that way is death. Here, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways because he's backslidden, because he can't see clearly, because he's self-deceived, because he's not walking with the Lord. He's sliding back. So therefore, uh, he's filled with his own ways. Now, I want to read you I want to read you what Spurgeon said on this concerning the backslider. Listen to this. Spurgeon said this. He said, he is not a back runner, not a back leaper, but a backslider. That is to say he slides back with an easy, effortless motion, softly, quietly, perhaps unexpected by himself or herself or anybody else. The implication Spurgeon's pointing to is that the backslider can slide back so easily that they don't even often realize when it has begun. And the people around them probably haven't realized it either because, you know, we, we're going through the motions and everything seems to be okay on the surface. But there's something, notice the verse says, the backslider in heart. So it's something going on in the heart that needs to be dealt with, needs to be exposed because if not, and you got to know this. See, when the Lord begins to convict you and show you your heart, that's the good time to repent because you still got traction on your tires then. You, you got that tread that's good. The longer you backslide, it's like spinning tires. You're wearing that tread down and then you hit some mud and you ain't going nowhere anymore. Does that make sense? You know, so you got to, when it's fresh, when the Lord is speaking, that's time to repent and turn back to him. Uh, Spurgeon goes on to say it this way. He says, the story of Judas has been written over and over again in the lives of other traitors. We have heard of Judas as a deacon and as an elder. We have heard Judas preach. We have read the works of Judas the bishop and seen Judas the missionary. Judas sometimes continues in his profession for many years, but sooner or later, the true character, character of the man is discovered. And of course, Judas was a traitor, not a believer, not a true believer. But even within the body, there are times when, when this happens. But God who is merciful, God who is gracious, God who can restore is constantly, constantly trying to draw that person back to himself. And we need to know that. So the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. If you're backslidden, you can't trust yourself any longer. You can't trust your ability to make decisions. Your discernment is impaired. It's kind of, you know, you shouldn't drive while being a backslider, kind of. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you, you don't drive drunk. You don't operate machinery under the influence of medication. You shouldn't make decisions as a backslider because you no longer have the, the sharpness of spiritual faculties in order to operate as a spirit being. Does that make sense? So then there needs to be repentance, and then there needs to be restoration. Because it says here, but a good man will be satisfied from above. I love those verses. In contrast, a good man will be blessed of God and satisfied uh, in his soul from above, which is what we're all seeking, to be satisfied in our soul. 
Um, it's the part of satisfaction that can only come from God. It can't come from relationships or uh, achievements or um, the comfort of a, of a drug or an alcohol or, or, or sex or, or, or going on uh, splendid vacations or, or whatever the case may be. It can only be something that comes spiritually from above. There's a level of satisfaction, true, refreshing joy that you can only find from Jesus. It's not even possible for us to get it anywhere else because we weren't created to receive it from anywhere else. It makes sense. I mean, you know, if you're trying to get it in other things, I mean, it, it's like, you know, trying to, to run a diesel engine on water. You know, it, it, you ain't going to get anywhere. You know, you got to have spirit, spirit, uh, you know, high octane, Holy Spirit <laughs> from the Lord. But we got to stop at this point because we're way over time and for the sake of all those kids y'all saw. And, um, and then we'll pick it back up next week. So bow your heads, let's pray. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here, for giving us this day, Lord. And I pray as we've heard these things, Lord, that there would be at least one proverb that was out of this group that was for each individual in this room. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause that one to just continuously speak to them and lead them, Lord, to a time of refreshing and revival with you. Uh, that the rest of those Proverbs, Lord, that you stored them up for uh, a time of need. Uh, Lord, I pray that it would speak throughout our congregation, Lord, that we would just become a healthier body here, uh, Lord, as you are doing many wonderful things. And so I do pray, Lord, uh, a prayer of covering that you would go forth before us, our whole, uh, our, you know, the families, the individuals, the singles, all of us, um, that you would cover our uh, everywhere that we dwell, whether it's our homes, our cars, our, you know, our jobs. And Lord, some have dangerous jobs. Lord, some are uh, in healthcare, uh, social workers, school teachers, um, all kinds of things, police officers. Lord, just all of the various things, Lord God. Um, just cover them in every way this week, Lord God. Protect us all, Lord. Keep us, strengthen us until you bring us again. We love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand and sing.